Have you ever met a family whose faith and walk with Jesus just blew you away? And as you look at that family, you thought, wow, if, if my family could imitate theirs, we would really be living a life of faith. Being in ministry now for almost 10 years, I've had the opportunity to see several such families, but there's one that I'd like to talk about today. About 30 years ago, a boy and a girl met and fell in love in rural America. Their first date was junior prom. Their second date was senior prom. The boy said he was a little slow in the uptake. All right. They lived in the same area. They went to the same schools. Both grew up in near poverty. The boy grew up in a house made of cinder blocks. The girl in a one-bedroom apartment, a one-bedroom house that she shared with her mother, her father, and her two other siblings. Both knew the pain and the trauma of abuse. After high school, the boy and the girl got married, and they began their careers. She would begin as a nursing home employee, eventually obtaining her associates and becoming a registered respiratory therapist. He would begin a job as a janitor, and he would get a promotion from janitor who could use a broom to janitor who was allowed to use a mop. And one promotion followed another until eventually he became a published biochemist, all without ever attaining his bachelor's degree. Though this couple grew professionally, it was their life of faith I'd like to point out. After the birth of their two kids, they found Jesus and dove into service for him. In their little rural church, they served in the student ministry that was actually the combined ministries of several churches. They chaperoned mission trips, camps, retreats, and they were dedicated small group leaders. And against all odds and statistics that get thrown around for people who endure abuse as children, by the power of God, they broke that cycle of abuse and did not pass the same abuses on to their own kids. And what's more, when their youngest was 16, they met and adopted another 16-year-old out of a situation of homelessness and neglect. And after all these kids graduated high school and left, instead of sprucing up their empty nest and preparing for retirement, these two sought new ways to be a light in their community. And they began the journey to become foster parents. This journey would culminate in the selling of the house that they had owned for two decades and moving into a farmhouse whose sole purpose it was was to bring kids out of the community and into foster care. Many kids would enter into this home. And many would call this couple their surrogate mom and dad. I know the impact of these two faithful Christians will be felt for generations, not just because 
of their achievements and their career in overcoming poverty and abuse, but because of the legacy of faith that they leave behind them. My name is Ronald, one of the pastors here on staff, and it's my joy to serve as the middle school pastor, to work with middle school students and their families, and it's a pleasure to serve alongside all the other members of the staff, both here at 410 as well as out at Stone Oak. And here's what I want us to think about today. Family is difficult, heart-wrenching, worthwhile, God-glorifying struggle. Family is a difficult, heart-wrenching, worthwhile, God-glorifying struggle. I bet there aren't many people here today who would say that their family is exactly the way they envisioned that it would have been when they first started out. Not many brothers and sisters here in the room would say that their family always gets along and never argues. And even less so, who would probably say that of all the families you know, yours is the most normal. And yet we know that God has ordained the family. Family is a universal truth, and it would do well for us to look at the truths that we can find here in Proverbs and learn about this institution called the family. Before he gave us the church, the temple, or even the sacrificial system, God gave us family as a means to pass along God's truths from generation to generation. And so today as we talk about home life, in the book of Proverbs, we're going to be continuing our summer series about ancient wisdom for today. So if you would, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 14 as you look at a section of this. And while you're finding that passage in your Bible or your phone, I invite you to please pray with me. Oh God, thank you for our families. God, thank you. You have given us this great gift that we might use for your glory. Be with us today, God, as we look at your family. Help us to understand the task that you have given us. I pray you bless our time together. In the name of Jesus, amen. Proverbs 14, verses 1 through 4. Every wise woman builds her house. But a foolish one tears it down with her own hands. Whoever lives with integrity fears the Lord, but the one who is devious in his ways despises him. The proud speech of a fool brings a rod of discipline, but the lips of the wise protect them. Where there are no oxen, the feeding trough is empty, but an abundant harvest comes through the strength of an ox." Where there are no oxen, the feeding trough is empty. I don't know much about oxen. And that's a little strange seeing as I'm from Alabama, all right? Even so, I know very little about agriculture. My wife, who's from Michigan, knows a lot more about things that we might consider country than I do. But when we bought our first house, we both began to learn together very quickly. Because our first house was a diamond in the rough, and it was pretty rough. 
Our first house was great. It was absolutely perfect for us. We loved it. There were only a few things that were a little odd about the whole situation. The first being that we not only purchased our very first house, we also purchased our very first 40-foot pole barn to go along with it. You can see it over here in this picture. We also, what we did not purchase was the field that our house looked at. The sellers of the home drew the property lines in such a way that all we purchased from them was the house, the driveway, and the pole barn. But what they did not think about was that barn was the only way they could access in and out of the field they owned we did not. So being a very responsible 22-year-old at the time, I decided this was a situation that needed handling, right? So I walk across the street to talk to the former owners of the home who lived across the street. And Mr. Glenn was the matriarch of that family. He was an interesting character. And uh, my relationship with him began as I walked up to his front porch. He was sitting on his swing, uh, holding a leash. And at the end of that leash was a potbelly pig, <laughs> who at this particular moment was wearing a diaper. <laughs> and the whole thing would have been odd enough if there was not a monkey on his shoulder. <laughs> and while I'm trying to have a serious conversation about property rights, there's a monkey on his shoulder, jumping from shoulder to shoulder, taking Mr. Glenn's toothpick out of his mouth, inserting it into his own mouth, and then reinserting it back into <laughs> Mr. Glenn's mouth. These were our neighbors. In that beautiful field that we didn't own, but our neighbors did, Mr. Glenn kept a variety of animals, as you might guess. Horses, donkeys, and at this point in the story, not surprisingly at all, llamas. <laughs> Becca and I did a lot of Googling about what good llamas actually are. They're pack animals. If you really want to, you can use their wool, but it's a whole lot of work for very little return. And I asked Mr. Glenn, why in the world you kept llamas in a field? He said, well, I just really like the look of them. Mr. Glenn, you do you. That's fine. Um, over, over the years, we would watch our neighbors care for all these animals that they had in this field. We would watch them rotate animals, bring new ones in, take old ones out. And when the field got low, they would feed them and give them hay. Where there are no oxen, the feeding trough is empty. Now, if you don't have animals, you don't have to take care of them. Right? That's the first part of this proverb. We got to see close up what it was like to take care of these animals. We also got to see what it was like to clean up after people who owned a house who owned those animals. And for your information, horse dirt is extremely difficult to remove from Berber carpet. But look at the next part of this proverb. But an abundant harvest comes through the strength of an ox. Do you want a harvest? Well, you'll need an ox. Do you have an ox? You're going to have to feed it. Have you fed your ox? You will have to clean up after it. This proverb lets us know that anything that's worth doing often comes 
with a lot of mess. Family is a thing that often comes with a lot of mess. Now, just like, just unlike every other area of your life, you can't really choose who's in your family. You can choose your city, you can choose your friends, you can choose your neighborhood and your work environment, you can even choose your spouse, but up until that point, it's not really up to you who is in your family. I have an older brother and a twin brother. No, we look nothing alike. My dad early on was a pastor who then went to go and work for the Alabama State Baptist Convention. And when my brother and I were young, he would travel a lot, leave my mom to raise and care for three boys in the house, two of which were exactly the same age. And she said things were difficult, but life improved dramatically the moment she prayed to God and just asked him to let her die. (laughs) Now, she was using this information to try to encourage Becca and I after the birth of our firstborn, Sophie. We had her while I was full-time youth pastor, traveling every week six hours back and forth to seminary. And for those of you who have survived raising young children or are currently in the throes of it, you understand. You know the sleepless nights, the teething, the cleaning up the puked-on bedsheets, that you just replaced from last night's accident, the tantrums and the refusing to eat for the sole purpose that they're just too hungry, trials of raising kids. Now, but for those of you with children, I pray you also have been able to see the fruit of imparting God's truths to them, of raising them up in a Christian home and discipling them as followers of Christ. A lot of you probably right now have kids over in kids' zone. And if you have managed to keep hold of that sticker and your kids have not yet ripped the thing off their backs, when our time is done, you will get your child back, all right? (laughs) And more than likely, they're going to give you a couple pieces of paper, one of which may look like this, right? This is a Ruth Long special, my youngest. But the other piece will be an overview of the lesson showing you what Bible story they talked about in class that day, as well as questions you as a parent can guide your student along and how you can disciple them at home. Let me encourage you to take advantage of these resources that we have here at Wayside. Because no pastor can take the place of you as a father. No Sunday school teacher can take the place of you as a mother. God ordained you mom and dad, to be the spiritual leaders of your family. He put you there on purpose for a reason, and it's to disciple your kids. Now, it may go exactly how it goes sometimes at our house, with one in tears, the other not paying attention at all, and the third asking if the whole thing's over and we can move on to the next activity. But an abundant harvest comes through the strength of an ox, from the mess When VBS was going on, the kids were taking up a donation for the Children's Hunger Fund. And my kids got a fire underneath them about this. And when they would get home, they would raid their piggy banks where they keep their 
birthday money and any coins that we might give them for helping out around the house. And they wanted to just freely give. And Penny, my five-year-old, was especially excited about the whole thing. And she was telling me as she's raiding her piggy bank, Dad, I just really think it is my destiny to give people my money. (laughs) And I was trying to tell her, yes, this is great. God has financially blessed us. We should in turn be a financial blessing to other people. And then she then asked me if if I thought that she would get her cutie mark for giving other people her money. And if that My Little Pony reference flies right over your head, count yourself blessed. But slowly, we are discipling our kids. As a kid, did you ever get the lesson your mom and dad were trying to teach you the very first time they taught it? If you did, more than likely, you learned the lesson you think they wanted you to know, not the lesson they were actually trying to impart to you. Just like feeding an animal, you don't do it once. And then say, we're done for life. Otherwise, you will not have an animal for very long. Now, Becca and I, we we don't own pets. For starters, when we first got married, we couldn't afford them. And second, we really didn't want to clean up after their mess. Now, that changed once we purchased a house and moved in with Becca's in-laws. No, no one was broke. We weren't destitute or desperate. We just lived in the same city and ate dinner together five times a week, and so we thought we might as well consolidate the whole process, right? My in-laws own cats, okay? And they allowed our daughters to name them. So chocolate chip and cupcake sprinkles, (laughs) yeah, they get fed on a regular basis. They get shots. Even have their litter boxes cleaned out. And if we didn't do this and take care of them, they wouldn't be around for very long. Whether or not we want them around for very long is an entirely different story. But think of the people of the Old Testament in ancient times whose livelihood depended on the animals they cared for. If they wanted to eat later, they would have to put in the hard work today. They would need to be in the mess. To spiritually feed your family, you have to be willing to be in the mess and to be there pretty consistently. So what's the opposite of this approach? You remember the first verse from Proverbs 14? It says this, every wise woman builds her house But a foolish one tears it down with her own hands. Now, my wife is not a foolish woman. You may not be able to tell based solely on who makes on who she's decided makes good husband material, but no one is perfect, so give her that. All right. Becca, my wife, is a wonderful woman. We're celebrating our 10-year anniversary this summer. And I got to tell you, I am looking forward to it much more than I was my nine-year anniversary with her. And I'll tell you why. Last summer, for those of you who don't know, I decided it would be a great time to break my leg. We were getting our house ready to sell uh, so that we could sell it and move in with our in-laws, as I told you. And we were doing the very last project for this house. 
was painting the outside of it. And I put my ladder up against the house, climbed up on my ladder, and then proceeded to get down from my ladder much quicker than I had anticipated. And I broke my leg. It was actually called a trimalleolar fracture. I'd show you a picture, but it's pretty gross. Just use your imagination, and by all means, do not Google it. Remember, I'm a student pastor. The summer is my busy time. It's my jam. I love the summer. But instead of hanging out with, v- with the students and participating in VBS, I was laid up on my couch for 28 days in a row. And I was not a happy camper. What helped me more than anything was having my wonderful, supported, lovely bride at my side. Because she was the one who turned our house into a home, decorating it and setting everything in order. I'm very grateful for you, babe. But let's, not make, let's make sure this verse doesn't mean to us just the building up of a physical home, nor should it only mean that a woman is the only one capable of tearing it apart. What have you done recently to build up your home? And how have you sought to take care not to tear it down? Building up your home can be encouraging your spouse, finding out their love language, and just delivering. Give them words of affirmation or gifts or allow for quality time or moments of physical touch. Building up your home can be taking the time to invest in your kids. Turn off the TV, go for a walk instead. Or swim. Or go to, your, go to my family's favorite dessert place where we often go to celebrate little things, Orange Leaf. Take time and celebrate your family. Celebrate the end of the school year. Or parents, celebrate the start of a new one. Make milestones. Make memories. Write to your kids. Give them handwritten notes from you. I promise they will be cherished. This is one of the ways of many that my wife seeks to build up our home. Our first daughter was born. She decided that we ought to get journals for our kids. And so for every kid, we have a journal that we write in. And as the months go by, we write things that they've said, lessons that we hope we try to impart to them, spiritual truths and encouragement for later on in life when we will eventually give them these journals from mom and from dad. But building up a home doesn't mean just looking inward and focusing on only the inside. It doesn't mean having a two-bathroom, three-bedroom fortress and not interacting with anybody else outside of it. Show your family the value of building a home by investing in other people. Those outside your family and even those outside your faith. You see, for the longest time, when I was encouraged to be sharing Jesus with my coworkers, normally it was my boss from the pulpit who was doing so. And my wife was a stay-at-home mom, so she only had Sophie, Mr. Glenn, and the llamas. All right? So we had a very small circle of influence. Now, if that's you today, don't be discouraged. Because we did spend many years with that very small circle. And now we are seeing the benefits of investing time in them. But now, since moving to San Antonio, our situation has changed, all right? I go to Wayside Chapel, 
And this church staff needs Jesus. I'm kidding, all right? My wife got a job recently. And with that have come a lot of coworkers who are operating under very different worldviews than us, most of whom include no God whatsoever. And so, as opportunities arise, we've been going to places we would not normally go and running in circles of people who we would not normally run in circles with and having wonderful opportunities to share Jesus with them and show how God has radically changed our lives. Now, I feel bad for my wife because some of you might be able to go to a social function and skirt around a topic of religion the entire time you're there, right? Not our family. Because what are the first couple questions you get asked whenever you meet somebody new, right? What's your name? Where are you from? What do you do for a living? You should see the look of utter shock on people's faces when they discover someone has snuck a pastor into their house. <laughs> the other group of people who we've been able to share Jesus with have been the friends who go to my oldest daughter's school. Becca and I are both products of public school. We came out halfway normal. But after talking about it, and praying over it, we were convicted that we would also send our kids to public school. And that decision has meant that we've talked to a lot of people who would not make a relationship with Jesus one of their highest list of goals or accomplishments or things that they desire. It's actually quite the opposite. But through friendships of my daughter, we've been able to meet several families and share with them and love on them. One in whom, in particular, is my oldest daughter's best friend. And when VBS came around this summer, it was happening that we were promoting it before the end of school happens, and you can imagine who was number one on Sophie's list of who she wanted to invite to VBS. And her friend came all five days. And she got to hear the good news that she was made by God. And she was built with a purpose. And that Jesus loves her. And we plan on continuing to invest in this family. And we're challenging our kids to think about when they go to school to see themselves as missionaries there. I'm so, so proud of Sophie's boldness, and I told her so. Because the best thing you can do with someone is you share your story with how Jesus has radically changed your life. And if that's utterly terrifying to you, the very next best thing you can do is invite those friends to church where you know they will hear the gospel and the good news of Jesus. So what we've been trying to do is not protect our family from the unchurched, but provide our families with opportunities to reach the unchurched. We're just trying to be in the mess. Because as a pastor, I can't walk into a school and just start preaching indiscriminately. But I can send my kids there. The same holds true for our student ministries. Something we often encourage them. That wherever they go to school, that they would see themselves as missionaries there. We as pastors may not be allowed on their campus, but they sure are. And so while they're there, students, kids, encourage you. Share Jesus with your classmates. 
Share him with your teammates, with your neighbors, with your friends. And in this way, you can build up your home as well. Because the field is all around us. And it's our task to labor in the job that we've been given. Now, you might be sitting here this morning and feeling dejected. Maybe the kids that you've raised have not only left home, but they've also left the faith. Maybe you sit here, husband and wife, and you desire children, but God has not yet given them to you. For those of you who have children, but they've run from the Lord and from you, I urge you to take heart. God is not unaware of your pain. There is some, this is something that I've gotten to see firsthand. I've seen the pain on parents' faces as they minister to wayward children. They reach out to them over and over and over again. I encourage you, do not give up. Because God gave you that wayward son, that rebellious daughter for a reason. Don't reach out. Don't stop reaching out to them. Don't stop praying for them. Don't ever give up on them. For those of you who have no children, I want you to take the opportunity to see the children who are around you now who need more adults in their lives. Perhaps the Lord will one day give you children, whether biologically or through adoption. But until that day comes... See all the children that we have here at Wayside Chapel who desperately need more adults in their lives to love on them, to show them that they matter, and to teach them spiritual truths. Serve in Kid Zone. Serve in the student ministries. For those of you who are alone for various reasons, perhaps because your family, what's left of them, has gone on to heaven, perhaps because your family is in another country, perhaps a divorce has torn you from your family. I want you to take heart. See around you spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers who will encourage you, walk alongside you, and be with you no matter the trial. See around you brothers and sisters in Christ who will walk with you through difficulties, pray with you, and encourage you. If you yearn to feel that connection, I pray that you would find it here at Wayside. Find an ABF. Join a small group Bible study. Be encouraged by the family of God that you have sitting around you. But you may be sitting here this morning shaking your head and going, Ronald, you don't understand my situation. You don't know what I'm going through. I just can't. It's too hard. We encourage you to remember that our Heavenly Father knows well family struggles. Think of his first two children, Adam and Eve. Though they had a perfect father and a perfect home, they still rebelled and they still ran from him. Think of how it breaks our Heavenly Father's heart even today when his sons and daughters run from him. Think of Jesus and the earthly family that surrounded him. His brothers thought he was crazy. 
And his mother at one time sent them to go get Jesus, who was embarrassing the family, and bring him home. And in Mark 3, 34, we see Jesus' response to this. He says, looking at those who were sitting in a circle around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. He goes on to say, those who do the will of my father, they are my mother and my brothers. Jesus knew that his family was much larger than the physical family God had placed him in. But just for perspective, remember, who was one of the first to see the empty tomb? His mother. Who became a leader and a believer in the early church? His brother, James. And knowing my own brothers, I agree with Andy Stanley. If Jesus could convince his brother James that he was the Messiah, God in the flesh, that is a pretty powerful apologetic. But for those of you today who are here and feeling alone without a family and have not yet believed in Jesus and put your faith and trust in him, I pray that today would be the day that you join a worldwide family spanning generations and into eternity. It's recognizing that you are a sinner. That you could not live the perfect life that God required of you. That I could not live that life. And because we could not live that life, Jesus came to earth and lived it for us. And then he went to the cross to die the death that we deserved to take away our sin and our punishment of sin and put it all on himself to be buried, but then to raise again to life, showing us that he was everything he said he was and is, and that if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we too can have new life, not just for today, but for all eternity as well. If you have never trusted in Jesus, I pray today would be that day and that you would join the worldwide family of God. Remember the idea I shared with us at the beginning that family is a crazy, difficult, heart-wrenching, God-glorifying struggle? Like, I know I'm a bit young for this, or at least I like to think so, but I often think about what I will leave behind when I'm gone. I have all girls in my house, so the family name of Long is shot. (laughs) But what's more important then preserving my last name is preserving the legacy of faith that my family is built on. I'm the son of a pastor. I am a PK. My daughters may not go on to serve in full-time ministry, but I pray that whatever path God's laid out for them, that it will be one, that they can follow in their father's footsteps who showed them what it was to be a follower of God. And I pray that one day they find a husband who's like their dad. And I pray that their dad will be a man worth finding a husband like. Because the most important thing I can leave on this earth is my legacy of family. My physical family as well. It's my spiritual one. Because I'm already a part of a great legacy. And not just from my own side of things. You'll remember the couple I spoke about earlier, the ones who overcame abuse, poverty, and found Jesus in the midst of their struggles. I told you they had three kids. Of those three kids, one became a full-time minister, and the other two married full-time ministers, one of whom you see standing before you today. 
in giving honor where I believe honor is due, I have to tell you this faithful couple are my in-laws, Brian and Kathy Bothwell, my housemates. I'd have them stand up and point them out to you right now, but they're serving in kids' home with the two-year-olds, just like they do every Sunday. They're far too humble to accept my compliments on how they serve here at Wayside and the Amen Ministry, the Agape Ministry, the Kids Zone, and how they help us raise our own kids at home. I know for a fact that their legacy will be felt for generations because I am a part of it. I am honored to be a part of their legacy and have married one of their daughters. They raised to follow Christ no matter the odds and no matter the struggles because family is a difficult heart-wrenching, worthwhile, God-glorifying struggle, and I pray that it's one that we will all seek to honor God in, no matter the cost, no matter the effort, and no matter the mess. Would you all join me as we pray? Our Father and our God, we thank you for adopting us into your family. And Lord, though we were sinners who had ran away from you, we were rebellious, you still sent Jesus because you loved us, because you love your children. So God, thank you for adopting us into your family. God, thank you for all the families who are represented here today. God, I pray that you would bless them. And I pray they would take seriously the God-ordained task that you have given them of discipling their kids and raising up the next generation of faith. God, I pray you would encourage us to remember that we are a part of your family. That around us are spiritual mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters who walk with us through times of trial struggles, and through great accomplishments and mountaintops as well. Lord, we love you, but we know for a fact that it will never outdo your great love for us. So God, thank you for being our Father and for proving your love by sending us Jesus. It's in his name I pray you bless our time as we go from this place after this song. Amen.